Thank you for listening to the Writers Guild of Alberta podcasts. The following episode was recorded in 2020 as part of the WGA's online reading series, sponsored by the Rosé Foundation. The audio quality may differ from recording to recording. We want to thank the authors and hosts for their permission to share these audio-only episodes with you, and thank the Rosé Foundation again for their generous support. Let's start by introducing Paul. He is a arts administrator by day and a poet and photographer the rest of the time. Uh, he has uh, um, designed and was the founding editor for the chapbook series done by the Olive Reading series. He's been published in Event and Descant and Writing the Land. He's also a father of two and was raised in the backcountry near a BC mining town. So let's hear from Lunatic Engine. And afterward, I am so pleased to be able to interview Paul with my questions and yours. You can write them in the chat box of the uh, YouTube um, uh, stream. And so we'll see you in a few moments. Paul, over to you. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you very much. Um, and thanks, you know, Sadie and Jason and Carol and uh, from the Writers Guild and the uh, Rosé Foundation for for putting this uh, this reading series on. Um, it's great to sort of see you guys uh, digitally. Um, I'd really hope to be able to do this uh, in person back in April uh, when the book was uh, originally due to be launched. But alas, uh, and the COVID uh good times um the launch has been postponed we're going to be doing it sometime in october probably during the poetry festival uh date to be determined but uh, but that will be that will be coming out um as uh, catherine mentioned uh, i did grow up in uh, in the bush in in bc um and by the bush in, in bc what i mean is uh i grew up in unceded uh territory uh the ancestral home of the tanaha people um, I did live for a few years in junior high and high school in Lethbridge and moved to Edmonton uh, back in 1987, exactly two days before the, uh, the big hurricane. So good times. Um, I mentioned this by way of, of starting off with, uh, with a, a territory uh, acknowledgement, a land acknowledgement. Um, and uh, I'd like to take the time to, to do this because it's really important to me as, uh, as, a, as a person, as an individual, um, that, uh, that I share with you where I come from and that I thank uh, the, the land and the area um, that has, has given me so much. Uh, we, of course, or I am coming to you from, from Treaty 6 territory uh, right now, which is a traditional meeting ground, traveling route, and home for many Indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, Dene, and Nakota Sioux. Um, in addition to acknowledging uh, those peoples whose land we are now on, um, I also want to uh, acknowledge, I think it's important for all of us, uh, to acknowledge the importance of not just acknowledging this, but of, of doing something. Uh, we know the uh, the terrible colonial history of, of Canada, and it's up to all of us as treaty people, because we are all treaty people, to do what we can uh, to make reparations and to ensure that our children um, come into a better world than uh, than than we came into. 
could be as simple as as buying gas at the Pappas Chase Petrocan on on Calgary Trail. Uh, you know, support uh, your local Indigenous uh, bands with uh, with money. Uh, you can learn about uh, the local Indigenous bands, uh, the histories of the Pappas Chase people and the Mischief people out in uh, Saint Albert, where I am fortunate enough to to be working right now, are uh, really important uh, facts and history history to know. Um, so I want to to just spend this time thanking these these folks and to encouraging you to to do the same um so lunatic engine has been a long time coming uh and it is a complicated book with uh, with the sort of a, a complicated though maybe not so complicated genesis rather than try to explain the whole um uh, uh, conceit behind it. I thought I would actually just start off by reading uh, a bit from the introduction uh, to the book, uh, which kind of lays it out. Uh, so the first piece is called uh, Results and Conclusions, Dialogue Concerning the Two Chief World Systems. It has two epigraphs. The first, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And that's Roman uh, 1.20. Second uh, epigraph is, in consequence of this that hath been demonstrated, sundry and various conclusions may be gathered by which the truth of my principal proposition comes to be more and more confirmed. It's Galileo. <clears throat> In the winter of 1999, Suzanne gave me a book we had only been married for a little over a year and were still in the hesitant stage of giving each other spontaneous gifts, still exploring each other's coastlines. But we had a shared sense that there was no horizon to our future and we were both possessed with an insatiable appetite to learn the secrets of the universe. Galileo's daughter was a fitting choice. It was early December and I was hiding out in the staff resident at Emerald Lake Lodge Sue had finished her first year of culinary school and was picking up some extra cash and kitchen experience. We were young enough. Being for two weeks was impossible. Tucked up at the top of Yoho National Park, the lodge was nearly buried in snow, making it difficult to go outside. Daylight all but disappeared beneath the snow and clouds, and while everyone else worked, I was utterly alone for hours on end. As darkness set in, it was just me a million trees, 40 feet of pure white snow, and an infinite night sky lousy with stars, and silence. Yes, don't forget the silence. And so I found myself alone with that Davis Oval's book, overflowing with every sort of poetic trope a young writer could want. Galileo, the father of the experimental method, the first modern man, and his illegitimate daughter, both confined, she to the convent, he under house arrest by the Inquisition, and mortally limited by the church. Sue and I both have Catholic backgrounds, hers French, mine Italian, but as soon as we were both allowed to decide for ourselves, we both chose to have nothing to do with the Catholics, or any Christian church for that matter, at all, full stop. And yet, here I was, captured by something so Catholic, and yet, somehow not. A story of filial love and devotion, lemon sweets and telescopes, domestic finance, fear and judgment, the very stuff of both science and poetry lay in my open hands. Then there were those chapter titles. Who could resist phrases like, she who was so precious to you, what we require above all else, and 
as I struggle to understand. The poems almost write themselves. Indeed, two of the italicized ones in this collection did. A couple of the poems also go off in their own surprising little directions, like that I should be begged to publish such a work, and She Who Was So Precious to You, a poem I wrote for Suzanne early in our relationship after visiting her mother's gravesite. Some of the poems foreshadowed others. The book you hold in your hands came together slowly over the course of a much interrupted decade. I do not need to describe all the delays and peregrinations that came next. The cul-de-sacs, dead ends, pits and valleys. Somewhere in all of this was a transition. Somewhere we stopped being young newlyweds. Somewhere we stopped being angry at our upbringing. Maybe it was Galileo. Maybe it was the poetry. Maybe it was the kids, the garden, the funerals, the crushing routine boredom. Or maybe it was trying to figure out how I would answer the questions my children will inevitably ask. I will say that I am happy that this collection does not end where it began. So back in the snow at Emerald Lake, I was holding what I thought to be a book of answers. It turned out to be as treacherous as all books and became a book of questions in my hands, asking me, what do you value? What are you striving for? Does the endless repetitive minutiae of daily life mean anything? What will you stand for? Who will be the witness? How have we as a species survived? Why can't we see that we have too many different words for the same concepts? Of course, the Tower of Babel confused all our names for God. Did you really think that there was a difference between science and religion? What do you believe? What am I going to tell my kids? What am I going to tell them about what they hold in their hands? What we've left them? We just figured out evolution a century and a half ago. Yet some still deny we're cooking ourselves in our own atmosphere because we're clever enough to suck combustibles out of the ground, but too stupid to stop burning everything. And the memory of my newborn son clenched up in the bath like a fist, red and scared, is burned into my being. This is where it either all comes together or all falls apart, specific and the universal. Looking through the iced over part of the window, kept up by the cat howling all night, carrying a stuffed pink bear around like a kitten or a dead bird. These poems all trailing off like a lost thought, a sentence of sorts. Galileo's dialogues banned for two dogmatic centuries. My father was an understanding man, and he barely ever spoke. Three years later, my daughter clenched up red and scared in the same tub as her brother, the same fist. Galileo's daughter read of her father's disgrace before the Inquisition in the convent of San Mateo, cloistered and powerless. I'm having a bit of difficulty this morning. I've been trying to write this for hours, but the realization that I'm an orphan has struck me dumb. What am I going to tell them about the motion of the earth, the stability of the sun, the order of the heavens, and the arrangements of the celestial sphere? What am I going to tell them here at the continually unraveling end? The simplest act, bathing my children, washing their feet, displacement. Before I uh, move to poem two, I do want to uh, thank Turnstone um, Press uh, immensely for their patience and, and uh, all of the work that, uh, that they put in. Sharon and Melissa and Jameis have done a fantastic job and I uh, can't wait to see the, the actual printed book. I think you guys are gonna like it too. 
Um, the poems tonight, I'm actually, I've, I've curated them a little bit. I'm, I'm going to stick to, uh, to some happier poems. We're right in between uh, my two kids' birthdays. My daughter turned 14 last uh, Sunday, and my son turned 17 this coming Saturday. Uh, so, uh, you know, one of the main themes in the book is, uh, is, is birth and children. Um, and so I thought I would, I would read you uh, poems about, uh, about that. So, um, until I have this from your lips, after Charles Bernstein. Every lip has a mouth, every mouth a face by face, mouth by mouth. Every lip has a girl, every girl a day by day, girl by girl. Every lip has a sound, every sound a story by story, sound by sound. Every lip has two, every two of four, two by four by two. I'll build you a house to hold your days, your face, your lips. Every lip has a revelation, every revelation a swelling belly. Every belly a baby, I'll build you a house to hold your face, your mouth. I'll build you a house to hold your sound, your story, your word, baby, falling from your lips. I'll build our baby a house when I hear the words from your mouth, your lips. The memory of the sweetnesses. The first night after we first found out, our first night is almost mom, soon to be dad. Like our first time together, that first night alone, we fumbled towards each other, not knowing where to put our hands, not knowing how to wrap our bodies around each other, and the first child growing inside you, between us. That first night we held, our hands we held, that night we held, that first sweet night. Please bear with me as I flip back and forth with the with the manuscript. I've got it all flagged and, and numbered. Uh, so if you hear paper shuffling, that's uh, that's what's going on. Um, all right. Because of our zeal, because we've dropped the B, a new fetish for short words, because B comes less an aphora and more an unspoken X, cause human bodies are bad at reproducing our desires. Still, lurk between the sheets, cause missed carriages only happen to other heroines. Still, in a Victorian sense, the inability to be three from two leaves us Still, minus one, because we had to be better at being parents than our parents still, waiting for a grand still, child to be still, not be still, be still, be still. So this next poem, I don't know if uh, if Wendy is uh, is uh, in the chat room, but uh, but this is a shout out to Wendy, and actually a shout out to uh, everyone who is uh, is older than I don't know thirty five or forty. Um, you'll see what I mean as uh, as I as I go through this. Uh, this was actually written in Ottawa years ago when I was there for a uh, for a uh, conference. So here we go. Ninjas against the tempest 
of our many torments. On my way to meet you to meet our doctor for the last time, as hesitant, as expectant, as scared, so soon to be parents, so I almost miss the first, the fist painted on the wall, a convenience store tagged with ninjas against bush. Hiya! My sudden laughter shakes sparrows out of the hedge, shakes a startled hop and quick step into the woman walking ahead of me, shakes a thought out of my head. We can use this. Why not ninjas against poverty and hunger? Ninjas against litter bugs and queue jumpers. Ninjas against traffic circles. Ninjas against the home shopping channel. Ninjas against both the Pope and Sinead O'Connor. Ninjas against Dutch elm disease, 10th grade gyms, the United Way, Jägermeister, Star Trek Voyager, prophylactic foam. Ninjas against broken jewel case teeth, green bananas, the collected works of T.S. Eliot, the letter K, Celine Dion, Walmart, people who hate horror films, Pomeranians, one-trick ponies. Ninjas against puking into shopping bags in the car on the way to work every morning. Ninjas against swelling out of your shoes, shirts, pants, clothes, skin, patience. Ninjas against baby name books, life insurance, and wills. Ninjas against the terrifying uncertainties of genetics, pollution, food additives, blind chance. Ninjas against the terrifying certainties of blood and bone. Ninjas against not knowing how much we want this. Ninjas against not knowing if we're strong enough. Haya. All right. Through my memory of their eloquence. In the third trimester, your hands vein and swell like tree swallows swelling into clouds, or a chorus of frogs stuttering in the distance, growing concordant as the night settles and rests, like tree swallows or your two hands. Through their eloquence, I shall know grace through my memory of their eloquence. So, um, I think Stu and the kids are upstairs or outside within bandwidth uh, watching. Uh, and of course I couldn't resist uh, uh, embarrassing them because that's what dads do, right? They embarrass their kids. So um, this next poem is, uh, is for Oscar and it's called A Small and Trifling Body. Should not have taken so much blood to wash itself out. Should not have torn her keel in two. 10 pounds of potatoes equals easy to deliver. 10 pounds of flour equals easy to deliver. 10 pounds of cocaine equals easy to deliver. 10 pounds of baby equals knotted and clenched, stuck like a fist in a mouth. Not such a small body after all, not such a trifle to hold your little blue body, her body blue veined and open wide. Uterus lies like a tongue on her thighs. Her inside spoke you out while it is all I can do to stand struck dumb and speech less.
so I lied. I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to read one poem that uh, that isn't uh, isn't terribly happy. Uh, this one is is for my mother who passed away uh, in the middle of writing this, um, and uh, you know didn't. Uh, she got to meet her grandkids, um, but uh, but just barely the second one. So this is called um, "How Anxiously I Live, Awaiting Word from You." I have read those letters in the box on the shelf, in the closet, in the room, in the apartment across the street. We got you to keep you nearer to us, nearer to your new grandchildren, to keep you near. I have read your letters. Like mice read the passing pang of cats. Like cats read the bursting hearts of birds. Like birds read the first signs of snow. Like snow reads relentless gravity like gravity reads the holes it leaves behind. I have read the holes you have left behind. Like gravity reads the snowdrifts at my door. Like snow reads the drifts of nests in empty trees. Like birds read the empty, endless dreams of cats. Like cats read the endless anxiety of mice. Like mice read how anxiously I live. All right, and let's bring it back on a happier note. And uh, this poem is uh, going to embarrass my daughter Anya. So this is uh, this is for Anya. Letters on sunspots. Uh, it has um, two epigraphs as well. Uh, the first is, and for the precious, excuse me, <clears throat> and for the precious fruits brought forth by the sun and for the precious things put forth by the moon. Deuteronomy 33, 14. I ask you to give him this piece of news from me that I have most conclusive arguments ready, showing clearly that just as he holds, all the planets receive their light from the sun, being by constitution bodies dark and devoid of light. Galileo. And as we sit in April and wait, for the days to grow longer, we think of other things we can measure. The height of the tiny seeds just sprouted in the tiny pots lined up on the kitchen sill. The number of times your thumb has played middle C this past week while learning the national anthem so you can play it in front of, your, uh, in front of the whole school at the year-end concert in June. The length of time it takes for the sun to travel from one end of the cat to the other. The approximate distance our afternoon snack of bananas has traveled by hand, by donkey, by truck, by ship, by truck again, by our car, and at last by hand again to our mouths. The ratio between your six years and your 42 inches of height and your 30 centimeters of hair and your five missing teeth. And you say there aren't numbers large enough to measure how much you love me. I am undone by you, daughter, and your terrible host of hugs and kisses. Though even the sun is blemished in this season, in this moment, you are perfect, my dove, my undefiled one. Thank you.
Uh, thank you so much, Paul. Um, so we've got about, um, you know, uh, 20, 20 minutes or so to, to talk. And I always love to look at the cover of a book first before I open it. And knowing that you are a photographer, I wanted to know, is that your photograph on, on the front of the book? And I can see it behind you if you would like to show everyone. Yeah. There you go. Uh, this is not my photo. Oh my God! Could you imagine if this if this was? Uh, this is actually from uh, NASA's <laughs> public image collection, uh, and James Paulson at, at okay. Turnstone put this together. So this is public domain. NASA has all of their images available on their on their website um, for you know free for uh, for use with uh, with proper crediting. But uh, isn't that gorgeous? Man, oh man! Can't wait. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. I did want to remind everyone too that on your website, uh, paulpearson.ca, there are five photo essays to enjoy as well. So if you have time, uh, have a look at those. So the second thing, the title, um, Lunatic Engine. I found it, I found the poem where it was. And I just wanted to ask you um, uh, if you can explain a bit. I, I have my own sort of interpretation of what that means, but I'd like to hear from you. Um, so I'm going to make a confession here um, and, uh, and confess that uh, I write a lot of my poems based on a title. Um, and uh, believe it or not, Lunatic Engine uh, is the name of the, uh, one of my earliest email addresses. Uh, um, I just like the sonic sound of those, of those two words uh, together. And then as I started writing this book, I'm like, ah, oh, wait a second, of course, you know, the moon and Galileo and, you know, he was the first to turn a telescope to the moon and map it and, uh, and the moons of Jupiter and the idea of engine and, and being driven. Um, the, I've got a blog, a sometimes blog that I, I kind of maintain called, uh, at lunaticengine.com. And the subtitle is What's Driving Your Creativity? So, you know, for me, that, that title is, is, is yeah. Yeah. and I mean, we're artists, we're all a little bit crazy, right? Uh, we have to be to do it all the time. <laughs> no, to me, it, it to me to me it's it seemed like that um, call to experiment, to explore uh, in writing and in life, and uh, I I really love it. Thanks for that. Uh, so that's really interesting that you like to use titles as uh, a prompt or a inspiration for your. For your poems and we're going to talk about that in a minute but i wanted to know if um photography is also a kind of uh inspiration for you and do you ever use your own photos as prompts or references when you're writing um the short answer is is yes uh the the longer answer is um it's not just photography but uh, images in general, uh, you know, my generation growing up in the in the in the seventies uh, really saw the boom of of images, and I mean, now kids these days in one year see more images than you know uh, someone living in the Victorian in Victorian England would have seen in their their entire life. Um, I'm a huge fan of of comic books um, and that sort of sequential uh, narrative using a combination of word and image. Um, if I could go back uh, and do another degree, I think I might do an art history degree. I mean, just the narrative and the meaning and the poetry in, in visual art. And photography is something I've, I've done since, uh, since I was uh, in elementary school, um, just as another way of expressing. It's almost like another language to express something similar. Um, 
I've got a photo from when we lived in Lethbridge of a of a plastic bag uh, trapped in a in a tree in the middle of, of winter, and it's a, a black and white image uh, I took for a photography class I was I was in, and that image of you know a plastic bag in a leafless tree has found its way into into one of the poems, um, and quite often uh, imagery will uh, will drive uh, at least some of the emotional timber um, of uh, of a piece. Absolutely. Um, so I'm also going to ask you, what then can a poem do that a photo can't? Maybe you've just answered that. <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a little bit. Um, a poem does a lot of the work or can do a lot of the work for the for the viewer, for the reader. Um, it, it can point in directions that that sometimes um, a photo doesn't uh, or a photo leaves more up to interpretation. Um, it's ironic, we're surrounded by imagery so much, but, but I find that a lot of people have trouble um, understanding uh, photographs sometimes, or, or visual art in, in general, paintings, and, and trying to put themselves into that and, and get, you know, sort of what's going on. Um, I think because we just see so many images um, that it's, it's hard to sometimes spend the energy uh, to, uh, to really uh, examine one. Um, but it pays off in, in spades, mm -hmm. uh, I think. Uh, and a poem does a lot of the same yeah. work, but I, I think that, it gives you that... a, few, a few more clues, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So that immersive attention, what you're talking about, like Galileo was when he was looking at the, the, the canvas of the sky every single night. Uh, I was really taken by the central sort of uh, theme, I guess, of, as you said, children and, and birth and discovery too, I think, experimentation and all the things that um, you point to in your um, examination of Galileo and his daughter Maria Celeste, what a lovely second name. Uh, so I wanted to ask, I, I know many of us know him as a, an a, as an astronomer, but I don't think everybody actually understands his contribution to science in other ways. And I thought maybe I'd ask you to just explain. Um, sure. Uh, the uh, the book uh, Galileo's Daughter, which you can see over over my shoulder by by David Sobel, uh, tells the the is a biography of Galileo told through the letters that remain um, uh, from. Uh, Galileo's daughter to to Galileo, right? Those that half of the conversation still exists. Uh, whatever letters Galileo had sent to mm -hmm. Sor Marie Celeste uh, don't exist. Mm -hmm. um, she lived in a convent, and they were very poor, and uh, and guaranteed those those letters were recycled and, and turned into something, uh, you know, more more useful. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And and so um, you've got these sort of two threads running through uh, the domesticity of of Galileo and and you know some of the household things like his daughter making him some lemon sweets um, that he likes so much with descriptions of how Galileo uh, meticulously mapped um, the shadows on the moon with his with his first telescope and tried to to puzzle out um, you know what those what those meant and he did such a good job of that because he had also spent so much of his early life uh, on uh, measuring how things float in water, 
and experimentation and uh, absolutely um, precise measurement and record keeping and repetition again and again and explaining things in such a way that others could replicate his his results um and uh, so not just arriving at a conclusion through logic as philosophers had done before but through experimentation um and really uh, he was he invented that that method uh, let alone all the other stuff uh, like the scientific you know, method the, mm -hmm. the scientific mm -hmm. method you know mm -hmm. and i mean he took his telescope and turned it around and used it as a microscope um as as well and a lot of people aren't aware that he did that you know a couple hundred years before van leeuwenhoek so lots of, of fascinating fascinating stuff although i do caution you against trying right. to read some of the original writings because they are uh uh, challenging and for those of us with a liberal arts degree um, I have spent many hours uh, rereading reading and rereading the same <laughs> passage trying to understand what he was what he was saying so it's, it's fascinating just as Galileo read the stars I, I can tell um, so that imagined dialogue that you have in in the text uh, with Galileo and his daughter Maria interjecting on top of your own text, I found extreme, me as a playwright, I found that really exciting. I felt that there was a, um, you know, uh, voices from the past were actually living in, in the poetry that was about your contemporary world. And I found it really, really interesting. And I wonder how, how did that device emerged? Was that something that you uh, decided upon very early in, in, in the manuscript, or was this something over the 17 years that kind of, I'd like to know how you, how you came, came to that. Um, it, it came out quite quickly and, and quite, uh, quite naturally. Um, I'm a big fan of playing with, with language, um, and, and sort of language games. Um, and the idea of uh, uh, when you get the book, everyone, because I know you're going to run out and buy it as soon as it's available. Um, there are a series of, of footnotes uh, throughout uh, the first half of the book, which interject uh, bits and quotes from uh, the actual letters uh, from uh, Sura Marie uh, to, uh, to her father uh, in, into the, the text of the poems. And there's kind of a, a back and forth happening there. Um, and it's all about how everything is evidence and everything is a dialogue and everything is constantly being uh, negotiated and everything relates to everything else everything is is linked it really does kind of tie that that whole uh spiritual notion of of you know we're all we're all one with the scientific notion that we are all one so and and constantly re-examining like that uh, night after night examining of the stars. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm curious, I'm just going to ask, in your audiobook that you've prepared of the, of the text, how do you handle those footnotes? Do you just say them at the end of the, do you say them at the time in the, in the place where they come or how do you do that? So um, that isn't quite decided yet uh so uh working oh, okay. with, with turnstone they had me use my my time downtime what little downtime i had during during the pandemic to to record the poems uh and the first run through actually i ignore mm -hmm. the footnotes through all of the poems as well um i do read uh, uh include two of the of the uh, mm -hmm. the footnote poems mm -hmm. I, I read those out but i actually don't pause and and i 
actually read the footnotes because I, you know, I tried that and I found it really broke up the, um, the, the, the book itself. And, you know, I think nice. something yeah. needs to be, something needs to be left for the reader. I mean, it's a game yeah. and, and that's too, right. That delight in, in wordplay and, and Galileo took such delight in his work and, and uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. leave something to discover mm -hmm. for everyone. Mm -hmm. Maybe a secondary voice cut in. Yeah. That could be interesting. Um, so one more question about Galileo, because I'm just so fascinated. Um, the titles of many of the poems, and you mentioned how titles inspire you, are from Galileo and Maria's actual letters. And I found a sense of urgency in these titles. I'll read a few of them off. And some of them, I think at least one of them you read, She Who Was So Precious to You. The grand book, this grand book, the universe. Bright stars speak of your virtues. To have the truth seen and recognized in the very face of the sun. These are awesome. And I wanted to ask you, um, can, and in those poems, you often make a comparison between yourself and Galileo. And this is like man to man, not necessarily, you know, great scientists to, you know, um, debut poet. But I wanted to ask you if you could describe in just a phrase the ultimate connection that there obviously is between you and Galileo. Um, and I think between all of us as well, it's um, that is really that is a really interesting question. I you know I'm gonna get to an answer in a sort of roundabout way, because I do want to first uh, uh, give the shout out to, to David Solon and Galileo's Daughter. So the, the titles of the poems in the, in the mm -hmm. first chunk of the book are the chapter titles from Galileo's Daughter. And she did all the work of pulling, translating the letters and pulling out those amazing phrases, um, which, were, which were so, so fantastic. And I, I just kind of stole them and used them to my own purpose. So, um, you know, uh, props to 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 Ms. Silver. I think what is common is is the idea of of searching for meaning, um, and when sometimes there there sometimes there just isn't meaning, right? Sometimes you just have to sit and measure how long it takes the sun to travel from one end of the cat to the other, um, and and this this is what uh, Maria Celeste's voice and the relationship with her father does for Galileo and for science. It humanizes him. It, it brings like the Titan, like one of the, the biggest voices of, of science um, um, back into the human world and relatable. And, you know, the fact that he had uh, a bad back and uh, financial troubles and uh, said too much and got in in uh, deep crap with the with the with the church um, you know humanizes him and, and that that human search for comfort and reassurance and and meaning is is something I think you know we we all share and that's really what I wanted to to get with uh, get at with this with this book so that grounding of, of human connections yeah Wonderful. Um, as a sort of fledgling poet myself, I noticed a few things in, in the text that I was really um, uh, appreciating. I really liked your lack of punctuation. 
except the series comma, but every every line was completely logical, even though, you know, I would expect a comma in the middle of the line for the next uh, phrase. Uh, it wasn't there, but I, I understood where you were going. And I wondered how you developed that. I'm just, I'm just interested in that. Is something you've cultivated over the years or? Um. Is it just spontaneous? I, I'm going to make another uh, uh, another confession here, and something that that won't surprise uh, some of my friends. But I'm really lazy, and uh, using punctuation in poetry can be really hard. Um, and so, right from the beginning, when I started, I think writing poetry back in in high school, I was really interested in in using physical space. Um, more than than punctuation, um, punctuation seemed limiting and rules based, and uh, I didn't, you know, I wrote poetry uh, to get away from the rules. Um, so one of the poems I, I read to, to tonight, the one uh, about the um, about the miscarriage, uh, the word "still" um, actually creeped down the page uh, as you go down in a in a gentle arc. Uh, almost like a, like a swollen pregnant belly to the end. Um, and that idea mm -hmm. of, of playing with space uh, is something I've been fascinated with for a long, for a long time. Thinking as well that, that poetry is, um, it, it has to be read aloud as much as it needs to be read on the page. And uh, you can do with space reading aloud the same thing that you can do with punctuation. I mean, that's, that's all punctuation is, right? So. Um, Lazy and I'm a jerk. That's about it. Well, I, I, I enjoyed it very much. Um, I also enjoyed the um, the connective images, words, phrases that come up over and over again in, in the text. We heard some of it tonight. Uh, one of the ones I'd like to just quote that I loved was, um, hole in snow, dirt shoveled down a hole. Love that sort of insideness of the star pattern in the sky with, with that image. And it comes up over and over again. I think it, you, you read it. It was also there in your poem about your mother. And I wondered if that was a conscious choice or is that again a happy accident? Um. A little bit of a little bit of both, uh, you know. When you're writing about certain themes, certain images uh, naturally come up. So when you're writing about death, the image of a hole, a grave, um, it's it's hard to 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 get away from that. Sometimes um, the trick is is not overusing that image and uh, also trying to use it in in surprising ways, um, but also. You know, connecting to to real life experiences, like tossing uh, coals from a fire into a snowbank, and and the hole that that, that makes. Um, an earlier draft of of that poem in the book actually talked about uh, the hole that you can make in a snowbank uh, by peeing in it, but uh, didn't quite have the same uh, impact um, <laughs> that I was going for in, in that poem. So again, as, uh, images the and theme, yeah, yeah, come kind of come together. And again, mm -hmm. that repetition of data and banging and and battering all the available data into different patterns, trying to to make things fit, trying to like a puzzle, right. get some some meaning out of it. Right. 
and looking at them from many, many different angles to create uh, the effect that you have. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, we're almost out of time. I wanted to just make sure everybody knows when and where they can get this book, because I was lucky to read the publisher's proof, but it's coming out in October, you say? Yes. With Turnstone Press. And I believe the uh, website is going to be listed on the YouTube um, uh, chat box there for you. And it's coming out in which formats? Again? Paper. Uh, paperback and ebook and uh, and audiobook as as well, which I'm quite excited about. That's right. Yeah. And are you working on anything now that you can tell us about, or is this um, sort of the project for the moment? No, like the you, it never stops, and uh, and you know, as, as you know, getting a, a book out takes uh, takes a long time. So I've had a, a lot of time to to continue continue writing. Uh, the next project is well underway, and I think I finally wrestled it to the ground uh, from a form and, and theme uh, point of view. I will share the, the title with you. Uh, the working title is, uh, is currently um, Tarzan and the Robot Gods at the End of Time. Oh, wow. I'll yeah. want to read that when it comes out. You'll have to let me know. Thank <laughs> you so, so much, Paul Pearson. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you to the Writers Guild of Alberta and the Rosé Foundation. I'm going to jump in and now. I'm going to... And if you'd like to catch, then, oh. yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say... say that there are a couple more readings coming up. <laughs> in fact, uh, my reading is next Thursday, August 6th. And there's another reading August 11th by Kat Cameron, who will be interviewed by Paul. So you'll get to see Paul again if you tune in then. Hope to see you then. Thanks so much. Bye bye for now. Thanks. 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 Bye for now.